For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Hey, y'all. This is Josiah Gray, and this is Half Street High Heat. Hope you enjoyed today's episode. All right, welcome to Half Street High Heat. We are joined by Bob Carpenter, the one and only, and all of you, I'm sure, who are listening to this podcast know Bob, and he needs no introduction. And if you're not already following him on Twitter, you can find him at scorebook underscore Bob. And you should, of course, be uh, aware of his website where you can get his fantastic scorebooks at bcscorebook.com. How are you doing, Bob? Doing very well. Just enjoying some mild weather out here in the uh, in the great Southwest, and uh, starting to think about spring training a little bit. It's kind of funny. Once the holidays come and go, my wife and I have kind of a a thing where the uh, the days of the calendar start flipping by a little too quickly for us. <laughs> <laughs> and so, uh, having said that, looking forward to baseball, but uh, not not quite time yet. But we're getting there slowly and surely. But anyway, yeah. thanks for having me on today. Absolutely. We really appreciate you taking the time to chat with us. Uh, yeah, we're all getting excited for spring training. Um, obviously, you know, the the Nats aren't projected to have their greatest season ever, but it's still always, I always feel bereft when there's no baseball. So I'm certainly excited to to have pitchers and catchers reporting. What are we, five, five weeks out now or four weeks out? I think, uh, yeah, I think it's closer to four than five. Yeah, well, that is all very exciting. So let's start out just with kind of a general question. Um, kind of what are your expectations for this year? And obviously, as I just said, they're not projected to have the greatest year. What are what are you most looking forward to for the for the upcoming season? Well, I try I try to never go into any season with expectations. Uh, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a professional athlete, never have been one and never will be one. But, uh, <laughs> you know, expectations can be dangerous because. I think they set you up for a lot of disappointment. Now, as far as the season coming up, I had a, I have a lot of hopes and, uh, you know, uh, different things that I would like to see happen. Uh, I would certainly like to see us win a whole lot more games than we did last year. Uh, you know, whatever phase or whatever situation your ball club or your organization is in, nobody wants to win 55 games and lose 107. So I don't know what that magic number is that is sitting out there is it improving to 60 games is it 65 is it 70 uh you know it it's just hard to put a numerical value on that for me but i think one of the one of the big things that i'm hoping for this season is to just see a lot of progress i, I like the additions to the starting staff i'm excited to see hopefully uh, mackenzie gore get himself through an entire 
uh, season healthy and, and start a lot of games for us. And the same would go for Cade Cavalli. Uh, you know, we, we just got one quick glimpse of him last year, and we certainly want to see a whole lot more than that. And, you know, and CJ at shortstop and, you know, w- what's going to happen in the outfield? Uh, can can Lane Thomas continue to get better uh, with everything that he's doing? Uh, you know, Alex Call, where does he fit in? Corey Dickerson comes over after having uh, kind of a resurgent season. Uh, with St. Louis last year and getting some playoff experience. And I think it'll be wonderful for our young guys to have him uh, influencing them and helping them along as we go through this whole process. Luis Garcia, you know, what does Louis do to elevate his game and be better at second base? Is Carter Keboom going to be hurt from this spring? You know, what's going on at third base? And, uh, you know, uh, Jamer Candelaria, who we saw a couple of years ago, uh, when the Nats were in Detroit, got to see him play some. And, uh, you know, what's going to be going on over on that side of the infield? So, uh, you know, we have a lot of questions. I mean, Kay Burt's going to continue to get better behind the plate. Riley Adams looks like a a really capable uh, guy along with him who can start whenever you need to and do some things and hit for some power. So I know these are a lot of questions. And isn't it kind of weird, you know, in years past, I remember – a stretch of five or six years when we went to spring training and there was really not that much to talk about because there weren't that many jobs available. I mean, you know, you're looking in a, in an infield that had Anthony Rendon and Trey Turner and Ryan Zimmerman and an outfield that had Juan Soto and, you know, Victor Robles and Adam Eaton and Bryce Harper and, and all these guys in the pitching staff, of course, with Max and that whole bunch when Steven was healthy and, uh, you know, there used to be very few questions to be answered when the Nationals went to spring training. This year, there appear to be a lot of questions to be answered, even though the, the lineup and the roster probably pretty well set at this point with one or two additions. We'll see about that. But uh, this whole thing in West Palm starting in a month and a half or so, really going to be interesting to see how this club uh, shapes up and how Davey gets these guys ready for the regular season. Yeah, I mean it's it's pretty exciting. It's it's a new era in DC. You know, you talked about some of those big names that we were used to seeing; they're now gone. And you talk about some of the young guys who are here ushering this new era. Is there one young guy or prospect that you're most excited to watch this year? Well, you know, even though he has major league experience already, uh, I, I still consider um, you know our young shortstop kind of kind of a prospect. And you know, we'll we'll see we'll see about everything that's going on at short and uh you know he, he's so young and you know cj's got so much in front of him that um it, it's going to be really interesting to watch and see how he matures and i think to a certain extent gabriel ruiz falls into that uh category as well is it a great thing to have your main prospects already in the big leagues and playing i i think there are maybe uh Arguments on both sides of that. If you have a real long contending playoff caliber, possible World Series type team, then that's probably not a very good thing because you want those kids being seasoned in the minor leagues. But this is a whole different scenario. So, you know, those are the two that come to mind uh, right off the bat for me. And it was interesting because the other day uh, somebody posted Juan Soto's first major league homer on Twitter. And just for the fun of it, I, I punched it up 
to see if they were using Charlie or Dave's call or my call. And they did use my call. And so I'm wondering, you know, uh, as he's going around the bases, I'm like, God, gosh, this was Juan Soto's first homer. And then the camera stays with him and he gets to the dugout and greeting him is a veritable all-star team of guys. I mean, you know, Max and Harper and Rendon and all these guys. And I'm thinking, oh my gosh, that that wasn't that long ago. And look how differently things uh, are shaping up now. So, you know, that was a, that was a veteran-laden team where a C.J. Abrams or a K. Beert Ruiz might still be in the minor leagues, but obviously they are bona fide big leaguers now and they're going to have to prove that they can belong not only belong, but get better. So really, you know, those are the two guys because behind the plate and shortstop, you know, that's two of those four up the middle things because they always say your defense is only as good as you are up the middle with catcher, shortstop, second, and center field. And, uh, you know, we'll we'll see who's in center field every day. Victor is going to have to prove that he can hit enough to lay claim to that job. And if he doesn't, there are guys waiting in the wings uh, who who want to play. So uh, this is a really different scenario for us. And I'm still trying to kind of wrap my hands around this whole thing and uh, go to spring training with an open mind and, and say, okay, let's see what we can find out here. Yeah, it definitely is kind of a new time for Nats fans. Yeah, obviously, you know, with the new era and obviously all those veterans gone, but just so much young talent too, because I felt like for a while there, it was kind of an issue and now, you know, they certainly addressed it and then some, so I'm excited about CJ Abrams and Ruiz as well. Uh, I was very curious, uh, you know, once we, we uh, once I found out we were going to have you on the show, obviously you've had a, a long career as a sportscaster and, you know, with the Nats in particular, 15 plus years now, world series, division, division clinchers, no hitters. Is there a moment aside from all of that, that kind of sticks out in your mind after all this time? Uh, from my, my entire career or my time with the Nats? Oh, both, but uh, mainly the Nats, but uh, I'd be curious to hear both as well. Yeah, well, had uh, had Andrew and steroids not made their way into the conversation, one of my big memories would have been calling, you know, so many of Mark McGuire's home runs back in 98 with the Cardinals, uh, because in St. Louis, that was something we were not used to. I, you know, I grew up watching Stan Musial, but then later Whitey Herzog's team with Ozzie Smith, Vince Coleman, uh, all these guys who were stealing bases, you know, Lou Brock before that, it was always hit the ball hard on the ground, run, as FP used to say, run until they tag you. And, uh, you know, uh, a, a a whole offense that was oriented around speed. And then Mark McGuire shows up and started hitting all these home runs. And all of a sudden St. Louis is a home run town instead of a stolen base town. That was a real highlight for me. And obviously some of that got a little jaded uh, in years to come when, you know, we found out that guys were using certain substances and I, you know, I, I remain, I think pretty good friends with Mark to this day. He and I never really talked about it. You know, I've seen him when he was coaching with the Dodgers and the Padres and, uh, a, f- a few other places here and there. Uh, so, you know, that 98 season was really magical because it was the Cardinals. It was the Cubs. It was Mark McGuire and Sammy Sosa, two ball clubs that really don't like each other a whole lot. You know, this would be like a national and a Philly chasing some sort of record during the season in the division. And, uh, you know, that w- that was pretty exciting. But I-, I would have to say, you know, to me again, that that whole thing's tainted now. But uh, since coming 
to the Nats, and this will be my 18th year coming up here. I was just thinking about this the other day because, again, on Twitter, I think it was yesterday, somebody uh, posted the greatest plays by outfielders in the history of baseball. And they didn't rank them or anything, but part of that video was Steven Souza Jr. and his unbelievable catch against the Marlins on the last day of the season that preserved uh, Jordan Zimmerman's no-hitter. That was one of the greatest things I've ever seen. It was the last batted ball of the season. I mean, the season was over as soon as he caught that ball, but so was the no-hitter. You know, then, of course, you have Max's two no-hitters, both both of which could have been perfect games. And, um, you know, obviously, uh, Charlie and Dave got to call Jason Wirth's homer in the playoffs against the Cardinals that year. And, of course, Howie's homer in the World Series. Uh, Local TV guys like us don't get a chance uh, to do that sort of thing. But when I think back on my career, I, I think naturally the things that have happened most recently are the freshest in your mind. So I could probably narrow those down. Sousa's catch for Jordan's no-hitter. Max's two no-hitters. There's something else I was thinking about, too, uh, that goes along with that. Uh, Oh, the Kurt Suzuki homer uh, in 19 when the Nats scored seven runs in the bottom of the night to beat the Mets, you know, that's something I'll never forget. So, you know, really Ryan, it's hard for me to narrow it down to one thing, but maybe a handful of things. And most of those, at least from a baseball standpoint have come with in my time with the Nats. Cause I did a lot of basketball for ESPN and USA network and some football and some world cup soccer here and there. But uh, you know, buzzer beaters and all that, that stuff happens a lot more frequent frequently than some of the things you see happen in baseball. So I, I think those moments with the Nats will be the things that I take into uh, the end of my career coming up some point in the future. And, uh, you know, when, when I first think about, okay, what are the things that I saw that really amazed me during my career? I think uh, those things happening at Nationals Park, Max's 20 strikeout game as well, with that one no-hitter up at City Field, those would be the things I really remember, I think, more than anything else. Yeah, they were some amazing moments. I can still hear your calls in my head from <laughs> some of those moments because I've seen them so many times. That, Su- that Sousa catch was definitely high on the list. Um, yeah, you know, so for, the sing- I- for the single moment of something, you know, Max, the no-hitter and all that, you know, you're, you're kind of building toward that over two and a half or three hours. But the singular moment when Stephen caught that ball, uh, you know, that was unbelievable. And I, I do have to add one more thing onto the memories. Uh, mm-hmm. Amanda, sorry to interrupt you. No, there. please do. Uh, <laughs> it would have to be Stephen Strasburg's debut game, you know, in June of uh, what, 2010, when he struck out the 18 Pirates. Uh-huh. And only, or 14 Pirates, you know, and he only pitched seven innings. Uh, people forget he didn't pitch the whole game, and he still struck out 14 guys. So, you know, Steven's uh, major league debut has to be part of that, too. Yeah, just the hype around that was so insane. That was a great moment. There are so many, it's hard to pick. So um, Yeah, and, you know, and then I, I think I remember sometime during that telecast, as Strasburg walked off the mound after another couple of strikeouts at the end of an inning, I was like, he, he can't be this good. I mean, you know, we heard all this hype. We knew he threw a no hitter at San Diego state. He breezed his way through the minor leagues. And all of a sudden with the ball club, that's still rebuilding at that point, uh, probably beyond the point where we are now, because, you know, 2011, I think, you know, we were pretty much a, a 500 team and then boom in 12, we're in the playoffs two years later, but, 
you know, when you when you have to give an award to somebody in the history of the Nationals uh, for living up to the hype, it's probably number one, Steven Strasburg, and number one, A, Bryce Harper. Bryce Harper, you know, I was Steve... going to say, you'd have to put him on that list. For exactly. Because, sure. you and know, Steve, Steven's debut speaks for itself. And Bryce's debut, he had a double at Dodger Stadium and his hair was on fire. And he was sliding into second base and, you know, throwing his arms and pumping his fist. And, uh, you know, those are those are debuts you don't get very often. Those are two generational players. And it was really interesting that we had those guys in back-to-back years. Yeah. Yep. Things have certainly changed, but those are those are lovely memories to look back on. <laughs> um, let's shift gears here just a little bit. I wanted to chat with you about some of the changes that are coming to baseball this year, um, particularly the the shift ban and the change in the um, interleague play rules. Kind of what are your where are you on those? Are you a fan? Not a fan? What do you think? How do you think that's going to affect? I think, you know, for a lot of lefty hitters, the shift ban is going to make a big difference. Yeah. Um, so no, I agree with that. I, you know, and I, I think Juan Soto is going to hit 300 uh, in San Diego this year. Uh, you know, and, and we got some left-handed batters who are going to benefit from that. I mean, you know, um, I, I think batting average is going to go up. And how can that be a bad thing? I'm, I'm not going to poo-poo analytics, but they uh, analytics have uh, deadened the game to me to a certain extent. When you have a second baseman standing 40 feet out into right field, taking away line drive base hits, you know, hitting the ball hard and hitting the ball down uh, has always been something that we were all taught from an early age, from my generation on to others. And, um, you know, to have that taken away because some guy's standing in right field like a softball game, uh, you know, I, I've never really liked that that much. So I, I have no problem shift. You know, and you'll, you'll still be able to move guys around on the infield, but that's the big thing. They're going to have to stay on the infield, and that's fine with me. Uh, the whole pitch clock thing, we ought to call it the pitch and batter clock and not just the pitch clock because batters are going to have to train themselves to stay uh, in the box, not go wandering around contemplating the meaning of life between every pitch, and, uh, you know, uh, keeping your feet in the box and being ready to hit so the guy can be ready to pitch. I, I don't see how those are going to be bad things. I think we might have a couple of situations early in the season where a pitcher uh, might have a little mental lapse here and there and uh, get called for a ball because he's out there, you know, messing around too much in between pitches. We'll see how that all works out. But, uh, I, you know, I was I was always a traditionalist. Uh, Amanda, I grew up on the National League game. Of course, when I grew up, Bob Gibson, Don Drysdale, mm. Fergie Jenkins, um, there was another guy. Uh, those guys were all great hitters. Warren Spahn. Warren Spahn won 363 games for the Milwaukee Braves. He also had 363 hits in his wow. major league career. So back then, pitchers hitting was a thing. So are you anti-DH? I know it's a moot point now, but I'd like to have you on my anti-DH team because I'm outnumbered. <laughs> well, I'll be on your team for that, but I've also come to accept it. Here's the other thing. If not hitting and running the bases means, now I felt more strong about this when he was with us, but if not running the bases and hitting and bunting a ball into your nose and breaking your nose during batting practice, if not doing things like that keeps a Max Scherzer in 
the major leagues for maybe an extra year at the end of his career, maybe an extra two years because he didn't rip his hamstring trying to go from first to third on a base hit. Uh, You know, from the health of pitcher standpoint, I'm okay with it. I do miss the strategy. I miss the bunts, the sacrifices, the double switches, because I was in St. Louis when Whitey Herzog was really the first manager who did the double switches a lot, which became a staple for all managers in the National League. So, yeah, I miss that. But, uh, you know, pitchers are so uh, valuable now and to a certain extent a bit fragile. And uh, if they're not running the bases and swinging the bat and getting hurt, that's okay with me. The other thing you asked about, which which I really like, and uh, especially in our situation, I know I heard some of the Baltimore guys talking about this the other day. When you can take, what is it, six games uh, off of your divisional foe uh, mm-hmm. ledger, we're going to, you know, we're going to play what the Mets, the Phillies, the Braves and the Marlins uh, from 19 times. I think we're going down to what, 13? It's, yeah, 13. Something, something like that. Uh, 24 fewer games against those four teams. I don't care who else you're playing in baseball. That cannot be a bad thing for our young ball club. Mm -hmm. And I know the people up in Baltimore feel the same way with fewer games against the Yankees, the Blue Jays, the Red Sox, and of course the Rays who are always good too. So uh, that part of it's okay with me. I always thought 19 games. So you times that by four, which was 76. I always thought 76 games out of 162 was too many in your own division. I still think so 13, where we got 52 now from set down from 76, that's right around a third of the schedule. So that to me, that's better than 76 out of 162. The other thing I like is the fact that every year the Nats will play every team in baseball. Now, and you know, it worked out for me great because my daughter, her husband, and our two grandsons live in Seattle. We're going to go back to Seattle for the second straight time this year after going there last year and I get to see that's my nice. kids. So, you know, so that's, that's a great thing for, for our family. Uh, we're going to Kansas city again. I had, I have friends there looking forward. Uh, I went to school there and uh, we're going to Minnesota. That's the one ball that I have not been to uh, because when the Nats went to uh, target field a few years ago, my wife, Debbie was having some surgery uh, in DC and and I stayed around, I stayed back for that. And, and we had a family situation. So I'm looking forward to that. So I think it's cool that the Nats will play Shohei Otani again, whether he pitches against them or hits against them, we'll have to wait and see how that all shakes out. But I, I like the fact that everybody is playing everybody, if not home and home, at least once, and that'll rotate every year. And uh, to me, it, it gives you a greater sense of what's going on around baseball And if I'm a Nets fan, I want to see Shohei Otani. And, uh, you know, if I have the money, I'll fly to Anaheim to go see that series or certainly welcome him into Nationals Park. I think, you know, that's a very cool thing. I want to see Mike Trout uh, and, you know, and see Anthony Rendon again if our old buddy can stay healthy. So I I think those are good things for the game, and I'm looking forward to the new schedule. Our bodies come in different shapes and sizes, so doesn't it make sense that our weight loss plans should too? That's the beauty of Noom. They build a personal plan that factors in dietary restrictions, medical issues, and other personal needs so your plan works for you. Noom doesn't restrict or shame when you want to treat yourself. Their flexible program focuses on progress. Instead of perfection, you don't have to give up carbs or anything. 
And with their daily lessons, you can learn something new about your food choices every day. After just a few days of using the app, I learned how to recognize cues for overeating and how to choose the right foods to feel full. Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M. Dot com and check out Noom's first ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for a hundred healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Yeah, a lot of lot of changes in the game. A lot of stuff to be excited about. I love Trout and Otani, so I'm pretty excited we get to see them. It's a new era for baseball. It's a new era with the Nats. You've been calling games for 15 plus years here. Are you still as excited to call games now as you were when you first started? You know, that's a really good question, Ryan, because, uh, you know, I've had a few people say, well, you know, you guys won 55 games last year. You're not going to be any better this year. And I got to say, well, well, wait a minute. That remains to be seen. You know, who knows? You never know. But you have to realize when you're in my position, There are 30 people roughly around the country who have my job, me included. You know, you're, you're one of 30 TV play-by-play people for, um, you know, for major league baseball team. And that's a really cool thing. And uh, I owe it to you guys. I owe it to our fans. I owe it to my bosses at Masson. I owe it to the people at the nationals to do the same job every night on the air. And I know, I know Kevin Franzen feels the same way because I mean, if, if you tuned into our, one of our games last year and heard Franny, you would think we were in first place. He, you know, he, it was his first year. He was so enthusiastic about coming back after playing for the Nats in, in 14. And, you know, there were, there were nights when he was more enthusiastic than I was, I admit it, but you know, we have to do the same job guys, uh, whether our team's in first place or in last place. And that's what we're going to do again this year. We owe you our best. I prepare for my games just like I did in 12, 14, 16, 17, 19, when we were going to the playoffs and ultimately to the World Series at one time. So, yeah, we owe, we owe, you to, uh, owe that to you. And here's another thing for me on a personal standpoint. In fact, uh, I was just on the phone Monday with a young announcer who had asked me to uh, listen to some of his tapes. So I did, uh, took some notes. We got on the phone, spent about an hour on the phone. And I, and I told him at that time, I said, you know, I'm like anybody else. I have good days and uh, some days that aren't so good, like other people do at their job or in their personal life or whatever. But every day when I get out of my car at nationals park, or I get on the team bus on the road, wherever we are, I, I tell myself somewhere around the country right now, there's a person making a whole lot less money than I am who has these dreams of being a big league announcer. Right now, he or she is getting out of their car in a minor league ballpark somewhere at a college ballpark, maybe even a little high school ballpark to announce the games on radio or to be the PA announcer, or whatever you know they do for the love of baseball. And how can I say I'm having a bad day when I'm getting out of my car and I'm walking into a big league ballpark 
or I'm on a team bus going to a major league ballpark with our players. And, uh, you know, that that's a wake up call for me every single day of the regular season uh, to, to let me remind myself, Ryan, that I'm very fortunate uh, to be where I am. Very fortunate to be with the Nats. It's certainly been an interesting 17 years for me so far uh, coming to a place where I didn't hardly know anybody Back in 06, I knew my broadcast partner, John Pachorek, back then. I knew Charlie Slows. Uh, Charlie and I had uh, been buddies uh, because we both had a St. Louis connection, uh, both of us having worked there in years past. But I, I really didn't know anybody when I came to D.C. in 06, and it took a little while for that to, uh, you know, to shape up. I think it took a while for the fans to get used to me and vice versa. And so uh, I just have to tell myself every day when I get out of that car, hey, I'm walking into a big league ballpark. It's time for me, no matter what is going on uh, with myself on that particular day, to give 100% to our fans and to the people I work for. Yeah, I love that. I mean, especially when you do it for as long as you have. And with the Nats in particular, you know, the ups and downs that we've had over the past couple of years, it, it, it's nice to have, you know, for, for us as fans, obviously, uh, you know, the consistency that you and, and Charlie and Dave have brought to us for so long. Um, you mentioned you're one of 30, which, you know, it, it's such an exclusive company, but, you know, it, it's awesome to see like the best of the best, what they can bring to a game to to fan viewership and experience and whatnot. Fans know you for two things more than anything. Obviously, your scorebooks is one, but also your home run call. Are there home run calls in history that you think are the best of the best? By other guys? Yeah. Or, I mean, hey, if you if you think yours is up there, too, I, I love that, too. <laughs> well, I'm, yeah, I'm not going to say that. I'll let people I'll let people be the judge of that. Uh, I, I I also have one of the worst home run calls I ever saw because somebody posted something on Twitter a couple of months ago from the pandemic year. And we were having some issues on a game from Atlanta and the oh, ball the was Luis in the Garcia. The, the ball was in the right field seats before I even knew what happened. I, I still don't remember exactly what happened, but I heard that. And that was, that was embarrassing to me. I'm like, Oh my gosh, you know, did, did I pass out or something as the pitch was coming home? And I, I later remembered that we had some problems with that. That was, yeah, that Garcia Homer. Uh, I don't ever want to think about that again, but uh, you know, uh, Vince Scully's call on the Kirk Gibson pinch it home oh. run in the world series uh, that was on TV and Jack Buck had a great call, of course, on the radio as well. And I grew up listening to Jack in St. Louis. So I heard a lot of great home run calls from him over the years. You know, it's interesting because he was such a character because I grew up listening to Jack and also to Harry Carey because before Harry went to the Oakland A's, then to the White Sox and eventually to the Cubs, uh, you know, Harry was, he was the voice of summer in St. Louis and I always thought his home run call was really, really fun and really, really great because sometimes when the ball's in the air, there are some no doubters. You know, when, when Soto hits one up off the Coca-Cola sign in New York, I mean, I knew that was a home run right away, if it was fair and, and others. But Harry would say, it might be, it could be, it is a home run. You know, that's a great, great call with his enthusiasm, because there was a little bit of suspense in there. You didn't really know um, what was, if the ball was going to leave or not. Now it sounds to me like 80 to 85% of the announcers now say 
at the track, at the wall, gone. You know, gone seems to be the big home run call now. And, you know, I probably have done a few of those too. Um, my home run thing kind of, it was kind of, uh, what do they say, organic. Uh, when I was with the Texas Rangers back in the late 80s, we had uh, a bunch of power hitters on that team. A uh, big third baseman named Larry Parrish, first baseman named Pete O'Brien, a left fielder named Pete Incavilia, who never played a day of minor league baseball, went right from Oklahoma State into the uh, big leagues. Uh, Oda B. McDowell, a center fielder who played in college with Barry Bonds at Arizona State. We had a bunch of guys on that team who hit home runs, and uh, I just started kind of doing a home run call. I would go, see you later, you know, something like that. And that that was kind of my home run call with Texas. And then when I got to the Cardinals, Mark McGuire's homers were in the air so long before they came down. They were so high and so long. That's when I started taking the see you later thing and drawing it out, you know, into see you. And then I'm waiting for the ball to come down later. And that that's how that whole thing kind of got going. You know, and people seem to response to it, uh, respond to it. The people in St. Louis, um, you know, that I worked for, thought it was a good call and uh, really encouraged me to do that. Uh, and in our 11 years together, FP really encouraged me to to do more see you laters than I was doing, because usually I would save it for a no doubter. But, uh, you know, he, he was punching me in the arm and stuff all the time. Hey, do, you know, do that more, do that more. People like that. So, uh, you know, a little bit of the credit to him on that. Uh, but, you know, uh, you think about the great home run calls, uh, Russ Hodges, of the Giants when Bobby Thompson hit the home run uh, back in 51 against the Dodgers in a playoff situation to win the pennant and go to the World Series that happened at the old polo grounds. And, uh, you know, but the Kirk Gibson one kind of sticks out to me because Vin Scully had a great line uh, as Gibson was circling the bases. Vinny said something to the effect that in the year of the improbable, the impossible has happened. And I thought that was one of the greatest lines I've ever heard. At the same time he was saying that on TV, Jack Buck on radio was saying, I can't believe what I just saw, you know, and uh, same play, same swing, two Hall of Fame announcers. Uh, That's the one that will probably stick out all time to me. Well, those are all great. And I love hearing the story of how your home run call originated. That's fantastic. And also just your encyclopedic knowledge of all these guys you've watched play over the years is very impressive to hear. I know my wife's Uh, like, okay, how do you remember all this stuff? And then you I was thinking that while you were talking, I'm like, how does he remember all these guys and where they went to college? And it's, it's yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, uh, and then she says, why, how come you can't remember to take out the trash? So (laughs) there you have it. That's there you life. have it. That's that's life with a broadcaster. I suppose it must be. So uh, I know you've been so generous with your time. We really appreciate it. Let me finish up with uh, one for the fans. Um, mm. As a lot of fans are feeling kind of pessimistic about this year, and obviously last year was rather forgettable. Um, what message would you have for Nats fans going into this year? Yeah, I mean, Amanda, it's a, it's a great question, and I think I think there are go- there are probably going to be. 162 answers to your question uh, as we go through the season, because, you know, some nights, some nights are going to be hard. Some nights are going to be brutal, but baseball has a way of surprising you. And just when you think, you know, you, I, I remember a picture 
from a, a book that John Feinstein did on on uh, uh, Bobby Knight and the Indiana basketball program, where Bobby Knight sitting on the floor of the basketball court with his head between his knees, and the caption is, "Are we ever going to win another game?" You know, and that that sticks in my mind. Brilliant piece by John on that, and um, baseball has a way of surprising you. There will be nights. When Joey Manessis is going to hit a walk-off homer like he did last year or the night in his first game, I think it was his third at bat, when he hit his first major league homer. And this was on the same day Juan Soto got traded. And we're like, oh, my gosh, this is the worst day in the history of the Nats or one of them. And, uh, you know, somebody who you've never expected to lift you up comes along and does something like that. And, uh, you know, Joey did it and other guys did it last year. And uh, I, I guess m my message to our fans this year, Amanda, is going to be we are really going to have to take the old baseball mantra and take it to heart because um, they say it's a marathon and it's not a sprint. When you think about the baseball season or even the first month of the season, it overwhelms you with this, you know, with this, the number of games. It's just totally overwhelming, and you're wondering, I wonder this as an announcer sometime, how am I going to keep it fresh for our audience through an entire six-month season? And, uh, you know, that's the big challenge for me. I think for all of us who follow our ball club, we are truly going to have to take this one game at a time. We're going to have to take it one inning at a time. We're going to have to take it one pitch at a time. We're going to have to pull whatever joy we can out of every ball game, we're going to have to keep the big picture in mind to see how CJ progresses, to see how K Barrett progresses, to see how our young pitchers may be uh, mentored by Steven Strasburg. And please let Steven Strasburg be ready to pitch this year. Uh, I, I kind of don't care when it is. Just, you know, please get him back on the mound. And and Patrick Corbin, Patrick's got to have a better year. And, and so I, I think there are so many things that we're going to be paying attention to this year, but we're going to have to keep that big picture in mind every night, get through the season, and then we'll look up at September and see how we did. You know, in George Will's book, Men at Work, the, one of the greatest quotes I've ever seen, maybe the greatest quote I've ever seen about actually playing the baseball was in that book. And it was Rick Dempsey, our, our friend from Baltimore, who was a great catcher, all-star, World Series champion, and uh, I'm paraphrasing because I don't have it right in front of me, but Rick said something to this effect. He said, for six months, you play the game the right way. You throw the ball to the right base. You move the runners. You, you catch the ball. You do all the fundamental things you're supposed to do. And then you look up in September and you've won. You're in the postseason. You might be in the World Series. That, that's baseball in a nutshell, Amanda. You have to do all of those little things every day for six months. And as fans and broadcasters, that's what we're going to have to do this year. I think that's perfect. Um, yeah, taking the joy where we can get it. There's going to be fun moments, even if even if we don't find ourselves winning or in the World Series this year. <laughs> there will still be plenty of fun to be had. There will well, be plenty you. of fun to be had. And on those beautiful summer nights when it's 74 degrees, 
we're sitting there watching a ball game. Those are the nights when I look out from our lofty perch up there, Amanda, and I look out over our ballpark. I can see the Capitol Dome, and I'm, I'm seeing our fans, and it doesn't matter what our record is. If we start putting a rally together, they're on their feet. They're making a lot of noise, and that's when you think to yourself, this is what baseball is all about. Where would I rather be? Oh, that's wonderful. Well, I think there's no better place to end it than there. Thank you again so much for, for your time. I know it was really great for us to chat with you. I know our fans are gonna, or our listeners are going to be really excited to hear from you. And um, we'll be looking forward to the season and hearing you guys on Masson. Thanks for having me on. And uh, don't be a stranger. When you guys are at the ballpark, let me know. I'd love to come and say hello. Fantastic. All right. And for those of you listening, again, if you're not already following Bob on Twitter, make sure you do at scorebook underscore Bob. And uh, if you need a scorebook, if you're into that or want to get into that, um, you can find that at bcscorebook.com. Thanks so much, Bob. Okay, guys. Thanks for having me on. Take care. There's a new breeze blowing off the banks of the Potomac. A new team's mowing down the ranks of their opponents. The Nationals are smashing balls so that the commentator who has the calls has passed the wall to see you later. the early light of dawn well you can see they're running scared cause the kinds of bombs we're launching are and bursting in the air tell the library of congress that they might not want to look cause we're putting curly w's in every book let's go Nats. we've got a game to play we're gonna win today let's Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you, with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.